Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wallet Street, uh, my podcast by Charlotte Guy that I've been doing. Um, as uh, you know, we talk about things like money, finance, crypto, um, personal finance, and today I'm really excited because I get to have on an expert that helped me through probably my biggest financial purchase as I'm thinking about it. Um, but we're going to be talking about the real estate market today um, with my real estate agent who helped me buy my first house, um, Anna Morgan, uh, and I'm really excited. So just a disclaimer before we start, um, as always, this is not financial, uh, legal accounting or tax advice. Um, so this is just an informal discussion about the real estate market. Um, so yeah, so in, Anna, maybe you want to intro yourself briefly um, about what you've been up to since, I guess we worked together last year, but what you've been up to since then. Yeah, no, and thank you so much. I'm really excited. And thanks for the disclaimer. I would say the same thing. I will go through kind of questions um, and deep dives on the market, but a lot of it will be kind of my opinions and perspectives. So just like take that um, with the information I provide. But Yes, I am an agent in the Seattle, greater Seattle area. So I kind of work in a lot of different neighborhoods, um, kind of 50-50 on listing homes and uh, helping people buy homes. And I've been doing it for over four years. I actually do have a partnership. Um, I'm part of a team called the Morgan Group. Um, my mom is my partner and she's been doing it, oh gosh, 15 years. So um, I feel like I've seen a lot. She's definitely seen a lot. Um, I love every minute of it. It's been a crazy few years and helped a lot of people navigate it just kind of with my network network and peer group. I work with a lot of first time home buyers, um, which is my absolute favorite. And it's it's challenging, but it's it's amazing. So, yeah. Well, you definitely shepherded us through this first purchase that <laughs> my partner and I did. Um but the reason I wanted to talk to you now is like, I think obviously there's been a lot in the news about changes in the market. Um, the market's been hot, obviously, for a few years now, but with inflation going up, interest rates going up, um, there still seems to be strong people, a lot of people buying, but I don't know, we can get into that more. Um, and with like people going over asking, uh, just wanted to yeah. talk based on what's going on. Um, so maybe we can start there of like, where do you see the stat, the state of home buying today? Is it is it the same? Are you seeing any big changes? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. A question I get, I feel like, on a daily basis. Um, and Charlotte, too, am I talking to um, just Seattle, or I mean, because I, I can speak really to the Seattle market, or is it kind of more widespread than that? Because I can, I don't want to get too specific in you know Seattle if it's more people I than that, but. Yeah, I definitely have listeners from all over. Um, okay. If you feel we can talk about Seattle, I think it's a fairly, it's probably representative of other major markets. For sure. It for sure is. Yeah. I just won't throw out these like niche, like neighborhoods and people are like, what the heck is, <laughs> is it or something. But um, so, yeah, so I would say it's a really crazy time. I think people have said that since really the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, real estate's always crazy in some capacity. Um. Right now, and I would say this is definitely true nationwide, we're definitely seeing it in Seattle. It was for the past couple of years, a very severe seller's market. And what that means is um, there was not a lot of inventory, there was a lot of demand, 
Um, so sellers were able to put on their homes as listings and they were getting multiple offers, way over ask, waiving contingencies. I mean, it was just very competitive for buyers. Um, and they basically, the, the art of negotiation um, for buyers and sellers was eliminated for a long time because it was just like, take everything I have, please let me own a house kind of thing. Um, so that is definitely, I would say, changing a bit. And again, in other parts of the country, um, you see a more cool market. If you're looking kind of, I would say, on the coast, which, you know, Seattle's in that as well, it's maybe less severe of a seller's market. Um, so I'm still definitely seeing multiple offers, uh, people competing and houses going over ask. I just think it's rather than maybe the 10 to 20 offers where it's 15 to 30% over ask, we're seeing maybe, you know, two to six offers and, you know, two to 8% over ask, or maybe you've been selling at list. Um, so it is still what I would categorize as a seller market. And I think that's across the board for a lot of places in um, the U.S., but Seattle, for sure, it's still that way. Uh, and again, these numbers, they're going to differ depending where you are, but they're applicable to Seattle. Anything really under a million, that's a single family home. Um, you know, that's still definitely pretty competitive. When you're getting more in the luxury space, that's probably cooled down a little bit. So kind of a million plus. And yeah, so I think maybe it just is taking a little bit more effort <laughs> for a listing agent and a seller because we're seeing a little bit more inventory too. And um, there's just more breathing room for buyers to not feel like they have to go so crazy over and compete against, you know, double digit numbers um, in order to get a house. Is that um, a product you think of the raise the rising interest rates or is it just like it's been such a hot market for so long that um, there's a little bit maybe of people are just backing out or, or giving up or? Yeah, yes, I definitely think that is an effective interest rates. I think there's also more inventory. Um, you know, you could also probably bring in the stock market and just kind of the state of the world with all of that. It's, and again, interest rates are really interesting and I'll kind of use my buyer pool as a focus group for this question, but um, it really hasn't. And again, there's probably parts of the country where this is true. People haven't really been a, unable to buy because of rising interest rates. Um, they've had to maybe adjust how they put together an offer or how much they offer. So again, having all this additional cash that you can put towards a home and paying you know, 100, 200K over ask, that's starting to go away um, because people are just being more conservative with their offers, which I think is definitely a direct effect of interest rates. Um, and, you know, if you kind of bookmark that bookmark the housing market, I think on the low end, um, yeah, I think it's just interest rates rising. Maybe there are people who are exiting the market because of that. And then you look at really that high end uh, luxury market, it's just less attainable for some people. Well, and I was looking, just checking today before we started, like where are the rates actually at? And um, I was shocked to see, I mean, I, I knew it was in the fives, but I, I didn't realize that I looked back to February was about 3.6, 3.5. I mean, that's an insane jump in just like three months. I know it, it hurts. It, I think of anything, just kind of the 
mental state psychology of just, okay, I was maybe looking to buy and rates were actually in the high threes and now we're seeing like mid fives. That's just really difficult. Even if you can still afford a house, you just have to change kind of what you're looking at in terms of price point. Um, but that's tough for sure. And there was in a short amount of time, just kind of dealing with inflation, a relatively aggressive increase in rates that were sitting in the twos and threes, you know, for a couple of years. Yeah. I think on that point, and I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people are saying this who are in the finance industry and definitely in real estate. If you will take a step back and look at rates historically, um, where we are right now is not really that high. It's just tough because we're looking at what it was a couple of years ago. I think all our parents will be like, I paid 12% for my house. And, you know, so it's good to remind ourselves, like, we're not at a crazy high rate. It just feels like that because there was an aggressive appreciation in a short amount of time, but a two, 3% rate is like, that's insane. That's like so low. Um, yeah. So it just kind of feels hurts a little bit. <laughs> and it feels like it's been that way since I think to post 2008, 2009 rates have just remained really low. So that's almost like a, over a 10 year, I guess, a 14 yeah. period. So it, it probably is a huge shock. Yeah. For a lot of people who probably yeah. forgot and definitely for people who, like myself, where we, when rates were higher, I wasn't even like looking, thinking about buying a house. I was too, definitely didn't have the money and probably, too right. easy. but so, um, you kind of, like you're 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 anchored at a very low rate and then all of a sudden it's like doubled and yeah freaking out but I did have um I usually save the question from the audience till the end but one one of my family friends wrote to me when I asked like people if they had questions about real estate he he said are we screwed because uh, (laughs) home prices are they going down because of um the economy and interest rates so wanted your take a little bit on that Yes. And that's a good question. I wouldn't say we're screwed. Um, And, you know, this kind of, I think, does go back to what I was saying earlier. Uh, It's interesting because if you look historically at just kind of numbers and rising interest rates, um, we don't see a big drop or depreciation in house prices. And in fact, they actually do continue to appreciate. Will they appreciate at the aggressive level we saw the past few years? No, that's not sustainable. I don't think anyone predicts that's going to happen. Um, but the negative effect of rising interest rates is just going to be a decrease in home sales. Um, and this is just looking historically at what's happened and stuff like that. So I think we need to remind ourselves we're not in 2008. Um, that recession was caused by the housing market, which was an effect of really aggressive, if not unethical lending practices, which is not happening right now. So it was a whole different situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So we won't see, and and again, this is my opinion, but I don't think there's going to be this all of a sudden drop in depreciation of all these house prices, things in terms of cooling, we'll still see a maybe a more normalized depreciation um, rather than this, you know, double digits that we've seen over the past couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just looking at our own house. I think I got a, a report recently that um, I think it's appreciate or uh, according to this value was like appreciated seventeen or twenty yeah. percent. we bought in like eight months ago, which is bonkers. Like that's not normal. <laughs> it shouldn't no. be. I mean, no. it's selfishly like great, but like that's right. Of really, course, yeah. Happen. You're in a house and you bought or you're looking to sell. It's like this is fantastic. But yeah, I always do. Um, 
like at the beginning of each year, just kind of a little buyer report for my clients. And it was fun this year because everyone's house is appreciated like <laughs> between 10 and 30% and over, you know, year over year, which is just like, that's not, I, I think we've gotten a little bit used to that and that is absolutely not normal. Um, yeah. So I don't, I think that will lessen because it, it's just not sustainable. So yeah. I hope it, I mean, if it increases, then we're all in trouble and no one can afford anything because that's just, <laughs> <laughs> be yeah. wild. Um, how does, uh, I know I, I'm not an economist, but I know inflation and interest rates kind of go hand in hand, but how yeah. is like, just rising like cost of living and, um, inflation just generally, have you heard anything from buyers or sellers about how that's affecting their decisions? Yeah, that's a good question. And I would say a lot of my answers kind of are similar to rising interest rates. I mean, of course, inflation did, um, we saw rising houses at home prices. Um, I would say too, kind of similar to that, maybe most of the effect was kind of on the low and high end, uh, you know, looking really specifically at that low end, um, you know, you have to factor in more cost of living, of course, and if houses are getting higher, it's just not attainable to kind of get that entry level house. Um, and then again, too, on the high end, maybe cost of living is as much of a factor, but that kind of luxury space, the buyer pool just shrinks quite a bit. So there's kind of just more of a mismatch of people kind of in the middle of that um, floating around who can afford, but the degree of what they can afford definitely changes with, with inflation as well. Got it. Yeah. Um, how does, uh, how did the move to remote work and COVID I mean, I think we all saw it probably affected real estate, but yeah. I'm curious, like what you saw, or what you observed. Um, yeah. So this is a multi-answer question because <laughs> it was, I think, phased out depending on what year we're talking about. Um, so I'll kind of like go through the timeline from the beginning of the pandemic to right now. So 2020 hit, uh, I mean, we all remember, we'll all remember that for the rest of our lives. And it was like, in real estate specifically, it was like a 10 day period. I remember of just like, we couldn't do anything. So it was like, oh, all of us are, no one's going to buy a house. Uh, you know, the stock market was going crazy. It was like, we're going to have to find new jobs. It was just very, I mean, it was unknown for a lot of reasons, but specifically as an agent, it was just like crazy. Um, you know, and then with the pandemic driven recession, real estate happened to be one of those very isolated industries that actually was obviously booming um, during all of this. And so talking about remote work, and again, for people who live in Seattle, this will make sense. And I'll try and kind of make sure it make it, it probably is very applicable to other cities and stuff like that too. But um, there, of course, with commuting, let's just say five days to work. And I'm going to talk really specifically about kind of a corporate desk job. I understand there's other industries where you have to be there and it's um, remote work isn't an option. But if we're looking just at people who are working, at, you know, have the luxury of being able to work from home. Um, all of 2020, you know, we weren't going into the office. And I think people assume this might be definitely a short, maybe long, even, you know, medium, even long-term effect that we just won't return to the office space. So commute time prior to uh, the pandemic was a huge factor in where people were living. They wanted to be close to the city. Um, you know, they had to go to and from the office. Like that was a huge factor in where people were moving and going kind of on the outskirts just wasn't something 
um, that was logical. So eliminating that as one of the factors of why you need a house and then also adding in, okay, I need office space. If I have kids, I need, you know, more rooms. I mean, we need, everyone wanted more space. So everyone wanted to, whatever their current situation was, they wanted to move up in terms of um, kind of where they were. So we saw a lot of movement, especially in 2020, out to more, um, even I would say rural parts, uh, north, west, east, south of Seattle, um, where people had land and they had space and more square footage. Um, kind of then the trickle effect was if you were in the city and had an apartment, you wanted a single family home. And if you're in a single family home, you wanted something bigger. So uh, it was definitely a need for more space and then not needing to be close to work um, for any kind of commute. Uh, so that just was essentially eliminated or just not as high up on a priority list when people were looking for houses. Um, as we then moved to 2021, and for sure right now, we all have seen, you know, work re uh, return or kind of become a hybrid type of model. Um, taking a lot of my clients, it's pretty common to maybe go in, I would say once or twice a week. Um, we work with a lot of people who relocate. So they're working at the Amazons and Microsofts and things like that. And, <laughs> and, and that seems to be a pretty common number. So commuting is a factor, but it is still not five days a week where it is a really important factor. So maybe adding 20, 30 minutes to your commute is not a big deal. Um, and then looking, so that's really kind of the market, the um, housing market overall. So it's, I think, changed where people are comfortable living and how far it is from the cities. And the luxury or need to be really close has been um, lessened and for some eliminated. Looking really specifically, I think what's always interesting to me is the condo market. Um, the condo market was opposite of single family home in 2020. I mean, there was, if you could find a condo all day long in Seattle. Um, I didn't realize yeah. that it was so weak. The, the demand there was so weak. Yeah. Yeah. And the condo market's always going to be a little more relaxed um, than single family home, but it was a whole new world when you're looking at condos in 2020 versus a single family home. It was pretty wild. The condo market has since returned. It's still, um, you know, I think desirable. And again, people, maybe we thought in 2020, this wouldn't be the case, but people do want to be close to work and in the city and stuff like that. The one thing that I see probably the most impacted is those high rises and you're on floor, you know, 56, you take an elevator down and you're front, in front of your Amazon building, right? So that kind of no commute situation and paying for a luxury condo right in the thick of it um, downtown. And I think those markets have lessened for other factors as well, but that's definitely um, seen an impact because of COVID probably more than any other type of housing. So yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's fascinating. And I think we're at a point where that hybrid model will be the new norm. I know a few companies have returned to five days a week and some are not at all. So there's, you know, a little bit of everything going on, but the majority of people are saying, yeah, I'll probably go in the office, you know, once a week, maybe twice a week. Again, if you're a desk job, you know, these, these tech companies and stuff like that. Yeah. It seems, um, I mean, thinking about just like our own situation, we probably would have stayed in a one bedroom condo or apartment for much longer if, 
only one of us was working from home and right. one of us was going in the office, but with two people working from home, we did that for a while. We did it for about 18 months and definitely, you know, at a certain point, if you can afford it, it definitely is attractive to try to get a little more space. But yeah. I think that also has compounded the demand because not only are maybe like single or um, two people households looking for single family homes, but also people with kids. And like, if you yeah. have two kids and both parents work from home, you like I mean, a lot of people I imagine are looking for like four to six bedroom houses, which before you might be fine with like a two or three bedroom house, um, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, the more you push out of Seattle and Bellevue, things become more affordable. Uh, So you can maybe if you can afford a house of a certain square footage and let's just say Bellevue, um, you could afford maybe twice that square footage if you push east, east, a little bit east. So, uh, and exactly, if you have two kids, you're both working. I mean, I have a lot of empathy for people who went through that because I have no kids and it was still, <laughs> it was still stressful. So, yeah. Um, but you need, you definitely just need space because of all the online activity that was going on. So, the other um, thing I wanted to ask, I, I don't think this is really on the questions I had prepared, but it's coming to mind is just how expensive, I mean, things are for like a regular, I, I just feel like I, I honestly don't understand how some, who is affording some of the homes we're seeing and maybe it has cooled down a bit, but um, you know, I've talked to a lot of friends anecdotally who have, I would consider high income jobs or like do, and both people are working and people are still struggling to, to be able to buy something, which I'm like, so if those people can't afford it, like who, who is affording this? <laughs> um, is yeah. I'm just curious, like, I know I've heard about also like a lot of investing companies coming in and buying. Is it just that people are competing more and more against private investors versus maybe more like family or just individuals? Like, why is it becoming so unaffordable? Yeah, I would say that is a factor. I don't think that is dominating the market. Um, you see the investor side. I mean, we're seeing that also really not pan out. Um, you know, you kind of think of that iBuyer situation and Zillow, and not everyone's following the same footprints of that, but um, it's hard to, I think, for those companies to buy at the top of the market. And then if it starts to cool, it, it, it's, it's just not profitable for them. So it's, I think an effect too, because you're competing against and, and they're, um, you know, whatever they're offering is definitely super competitive. So it's hard as definitely a first time home buyer. And even if there's two incomes that you're taking into consideration, it's still really competitive. Um, so I think a little bit of that, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people who are competing for these houses, I mean, it, you described it, but if we think about it, it's like, okay, two people who work at a tech company they're making in the you know well into the six figures it's like that really raises the bar for what kind of that average price point is on what people can afford mm-hmm. um you know there's also maybe another group too uh, that you're competing against and i i wouldn't say this is dominating the market um but just um wealth coming in internationally too and and you know some family kind of generational wealth situations too um that are using buying a house as some sort of an investment. investment so 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, there's not one thing that's happening that's driving up these costs. It's a lot of those things. Um, I think mm -hmm. maybe more than anything is just the average income, you know, of a lot of people in the Seattle area. And again, if you have two of those in one house, it's, um, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful in terms of what you can afford for sure. Mm -hmm. What would you um, tell people or what are you um, telling people right now who ask you, like, is it worth me selling right now? Should I hold on to my house? Should I buy? Um, I, I mean, I know I'm, obviously this isn't like specific advice for anyone out there, but I guess generally what are people feeling like they're going to do? So kind of let's look at both the buyer side and the seller side. So buyers that I work with, um, I mean, I would say look at it a couple of different ways. So first looking at the more financial, uh, logical side, so interest rates and things like that. Um, to my point earlier, yeah, it feels a little painful that you didn't find something at that, you know, two to 3% interest rate, but it's not a high interest rate you're dealing with historically. It's still, um, you know, really good. And, and it's a good time to buy. If anything, it's definitely been a direct effect of maybe a cooling in the market. So you can be a little bit, uh, have a little bit more success competing for those houses. Um, on the other side of it too, I think it's always good to start the buying process in terms of just looking and getting your feet wet earlier than you really want to buy. Um, have your agent search, uh, set you up on some sort of search, go to open houses, just understand the inventory, what you can afford, what areas you like, what uh, features in homes you like, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, it is still a seller's market for the most part. It's not going to be uncommon that you put in an offer on something you like and it doesn't work out. So you have to be prepared to write, you know, one, two, three, you know, whatever offers. Um, which, which of course is going to make that buying process longer. So I would say um, it is a good time to buy. I think the interest rates are fine. Um, I understand there's some uncertainty and with the stock market and the world and stuff like that, but there's nothing that's saying to me that, you know, everything's going to crash and burn and you're going to regret buying. Um, on the selling side with, yeah, I would say, we are still like, I, I think I've said this with every question, but we're still in the seller's market. If you are considering selling, I would say do so as soon as you possibly can. Um, it's unclear what will happen in the coming months. I, I don't, you know, I can't predict it. No one really can. Um, if anything, maybe we'll see a little bit more of a cooling. So if you're thinking about selling, you can still take advantage of a seller's market. Uh, it's not as maybe easy as it was two months ago where you just plop a sign in front of your house and then you get, you know, 15 offers. You got to put a little elbow grease in it to get the house market ready, but it's not extensive work. It's just kind of making it look presentable, which is pretty, you know, pretty straightforward. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, are houses still, cause I remember when we were looking last year, like houses would basically go, they would go on. I think on a Thursday and by basically Monday or Tuesday, you had to put in your offer. Um, so it's like not even a full week on the market. Um, but is that still the case? And I remember someone telling me if someone's something's been sitting for longer than a week, there's something wrong with the house. <laughs> and it kind of turned out to be pretty true. Like every yeah. house that I looked at that was like 
sitting for 30 <laughs> days. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be a great deal. As you know, I led us into some really terrible, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I remember that's the reason why that those houses hadn't sold. So I'm just curious if that's still such a quick turnaround. So I would say it is still pretty quick. Um, you know, this is definitely specific to Seattle, but having all offers reviewed and competing on that, like Monday or Tuesday, following a listing that was done on the prior week on like a Thursday is very common. Um, Definitely seeing more inventory sit. And I would say homes go through what we call price adjustments, which is just a price decrease. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is just because they're a total, you know, dud and Mm -hmm. no one is ever going to buy it. (laughs) But a lot of it too is, you know, we maybe hit the peak of things. So people are just pricing over where they really market values telling them Mm -hmm. just thinking, you know, we'll for sure get an offer because everyone, anyone will do anything for a house. Um, so that's kind of being weeded out of like, okay, this is just a crazy price point. So it does sit for a little bit longer. Um, and then, yeah, I just think to houses that aren't prepped correctly, maybe have gone through a very cheap remodel um, those are kind of getting exposed as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just, like I said, it doesn't take much, but it's just, there's a little bit more inventory, a little bit more competition. Um, maybe the buyer intensity is decreasing. So a desirable move and ready house is still flying off the market. Um, I think what's changed is not every single house is flying off the market. So Unlike when we were going through houses, if a house had been on for maybe two weeks, is that really loud? Um, you no, hear the outside. I hear it a little bit, but it's not bad. Oh. Okay. I just want to make sure it's not like overpowering my voice, but um, what was I saying? So like when we were looking, we'd go in a house that had been on for like nine days and it would be like, I don't want to like touch anything kind of, <laughs> it would be just like, you know, crazy, but um now that's not really the case. It's maybe just more incorrect pricing and, um, you know, it's just not really presenting well or something like that. So it's, it's, it's changed a little bit, I think in that sense. Which leads me to the question of like, is staging the most common thing that people do now? Cause I feel like that's really something that's more recent. Um, I feel like before, I mean, not that I was like ever house hunting before, but I just yeah. remember when my parents sold their house, like there was no staging really at that time, but it seems like nowadays every house does that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I would say I'm again, I've been doing this for a little over four years. So ever day one um, I've been staging. I, that's a whole different, maybe podcast I could go into. (laughs) I really believe in staging. I think it's so important. Um, you know, I think, I think part of it too is there's just kind of a more dynamic market that we've been working with in recent years. So people can leave their house. Um, you know, they get under contract in a really short amount of time. So they're not displaced for too long, maybe 10 years ago or something like that, for sure. Houses would sit for six months. So you, A, staging is really expensive to have it in for that long of time. 
if you're still living in the house, that's just not really doable. Mm -hmm. um, so I think because the, it's such a fast paced market, people can leave and be out of their house and, and kind of deal with the discomfort for you know a couple of weeks that it's just become more of a normalized thing for sure. Um, so, and part of it too, I would say is the more we have a heavier reliance on, you know, the online presence of a listing, um, photos and stuff like that. Staging is really important there as well. Cause that's just a huge first impression. And so many people never even drive by a house unless it looks good online. So that's a great point yeah. I hadn't thought about. That is definitely, I mean, everyone goes, I think on Redfin or Zillow is like the first place you probably, or, or through your agent, if they're sending you online listings, but at, it's always yeah. an online listing first, usually. Yeah. I mean, I would say 95 to like 99% of people probably find the house they buy online first um, through, you know, Zillow, Redfin, or your agent's search that they set up for you. Um, maybe you just like wander by an open house. That'd be maybe the other 1%, but that doesn't happen too often. So it's all about the online presence for sure. Yeah. What are the most common questions? I know you've, you've kind of gone over some of them, but any other common questions you get from either buyers or sellers you work with? So again, kind of looking at buyers, um, without getting into the weeds of it, I think when we found a house, it just kind of offer strategies and just like, how do you compete? That's been a common uh, conversation I have with a lot of buyers. Uh, kind of taking it back and looking kind of earlier, I think in the buying process, one thing that I walk through a lot of buyers is the pros and cons of maybe finding a house um, that fits more of your criteria, but maybe in a less desirable area versus finding that really desirable area and then compromising more on the house and understanding, you know, which scenario is better for which, for, you know, whomever the buyer is, there's not a right or wrong answer. I just think it depends on, you know, your needs. Mm -hmm. um, seller side. I mean, people always want to know how much they can get for their house. <laughs> so that's, that's probably the most common question. They want to know, you know, what, Oops. Um, that's my phone. Hold on. Sorry. I turned it off. <laughs> they want to know what, you know, Bob down the street sold his for and how many offers they got and stuff like that. And so it's really about that. And, and I think too, there's always questions, no matter market conditions, just like what's kind of the low cost work we can do to make our house uh, ready to put on market and get top dollar. Um, so yeah. just, you know, we're willing to put maybe a little work into it to make it presentable, but we don't want to obviously spend all this money, put on the market and move um, and not see any kind of return. So um, walking through that kind of scenario, I think is pretty common with sellers. How about um, for people buying, particularly first time walking them through like the financing process? Because I feel like that was probably one of the most complicated and like there's just so much minutia that I didn't really realize went into it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was just us. Yeah. I don't know if that's a No, it's yeah. not just you. It is 100% of buyers and especially first time home buyers. Um, yeah. And the finance side, I always like to give kind of a good general overview. I... Uh, definitely would point any of my buyers in the direction of a lender to have really specific uh, questions and conversations about, do we do a fixed rate or do we do an arm or how much should we put down? And because 
the advantages of working with a lender there is they can do a really in-depth cost analysis okay, if with different scenarios, depending on your finances. Mm-hmm. Um, when I just have conversations, it's it's more just kind of the type of lender you're working with. And especially as a first-time home buyer, I think weighing or having a lot of importance in um, or placing a lot of importance in the relationship you have with your lender is important because they're going to walk you through so much and it's the first time you've done it. So there's a lot of handholding, um, which is totally normal. And there's some lenders who are great at that and maybe some not so much. Um, so, yeah, I think the finance side is it's definitely tricky and daunting. <laughs> and uh, but I think it, it becomes more realistic when you just see more of that cost analysis of like, OK, how much you know, do I really need to pay in order to buy, you know, whatever house you're looking at and that whether or not you get freaked out or it's like, okay, this is realistic, <laughs> I guess just depends, but, or maybe a little bit of both, but. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for us, like narrowing it down to like, what's going to be our monthly mortgage and then adding in like probably basic utilities, like to get a monthly cost was helpful. Cause I think those big numbers, like yeah. if you just look at the price of a home, you're like, oh, that might make sense. And then when you kind of back into the adding like insurance or, um, you know, uh, if you're like a condo, like condo fees, all of that can definitely affect. Right. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like the house price feels a bit like monopoly money. You're just like, yes. this, what does this number mean? But um, once you get more granular and look at like, how much do I actually have to pay? every month for everything you just listed to. And I think it's interesting because there's things that you don't even consider. It's like, oh, I need this type of insurance or, you know, I guess utility costs and stuff like that. So it's just good to see that line by line and understand it. Taxes, another one that I was like, yeah, I got to pay taxes. Forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, taxes. Um, (laughs) Any general or like, what is any other advice that you would tell people buying or selling just generally? It doesn't, maybe not even specific to right now, but um, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Common mistakes to avoid that you see people do also. I think, uh, and again, every buyer, and I'll go buyers and sellers, every buyer situation is different. You know, there's, buyers they don't have the luxury of time so they like I have a new job so I have to be in a house in a month or I'm having a baby or I just you know whatever the scenario is sometimes there is a time constraint Um, but if there isn't um, I would definitely say you know let that be a long kind of organic process and like I was saying earlier start earlier than you think you're ready to start you don't have to go get pre-approved and make any you know decisions that are lasting and concrete but the last thing you want to do is start looking right when you are like, okay, I want to buy, you know, in 30 days or something like that, because you'll feel like you don't have a sense of really the inventory that's out there, maybe not a really good grasp on what you like and don't like. Um, And then sometimes I think more often than not, and this is maybe more market specific to what we're dealing with right now, you don't always get the first house that you put an offer on. It could take a few times and that could lengthen the process. So the earlier you can start, I think the better. Um, and don't compromise, but also be open-minded to maybe things you didn't think you, areas or things you didn't think you liked before. Um, view it, see it, kind of think about it because sometimes I think when the criteria is like, we, 
absolutely can't do this or need to have this, it can be a little limiting. Um, and then on the seller side, yeah, I think, again, I mean, no matter what market conditions are, I'm a big believer, like I said, in staging and preparation for a house to make it market ready. Um, so just working with your agent to make sure you're doing those things. And we're entering a time where there's more inventory. So you're competing against other listings. So, you know, if you have two houses on the same street like this and yours is in better condition, it's staged, it's, you know, ready to go, um, you're going to get more attention for sure. And then more uh, offers that kind of that premium pricing. So, um, yeah, I think, and then specific to now, but if you're going to list in the next few months, do it right away. <laughs> I'll, I'll also add my advice was, um, like figure out with your bank, like how to actually get all your money ready. Because even if you have the money in one account, if you have to like, yeah. wire, like I, I remember, I think it's after you put in your, your offer, if they accept your offer that you have like a very short amount of time to actually wire some kind of deposit. And yes. Yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, I got to actually figure out how to send this money now. <laughs> like go yeah. to the bank and like, you know, make sure they, the stuff is like, or your funds are available. Um, and same thing with closing. I think we had an issue, like last minute, we figured out there needed to be much more advanced notice for a bank for wire transfer. So it was yeah. like a little bit of a, and if your bank is not, doesn't have a presence in the area where you're buying, um, exactly. it's yeah. a little bit tricky. So I had, we had that issue. <laughs> That's really good advice. And yes, you're talking about earnest money, which is that deposit. Yeah. yeah. And in Seattle, it's two days after mutual. Um, yeah. So it has to be, you know, in the account liquid, ready to go. So that's really good advice. I just, you know, you get these pre-approvals for what you can afford in your monthly payment, but you have to bring a certain amount of money um, again for the earnest money, but also at close. So it has to be readily available. So, yeah. um, you know, and, Typically, it closes 30 days, which seems like a long time. But I mean, as you know, it, it goes by pretty quick. It, so. it does. It does go fast. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow. I, and I think we had like a holiday weekend. So it was just like banks were closed yeah. for next day. So I don't know. I just feel like that's something that is, it seems obvious, but you kind of forget that it's an important part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The, yeah. Um, cool. Well, I think that's uh, most of the questions I had. I don't know if there's anything. I missed that you wanted to add, um, or cover. I don't think so. I feel like I talked again. I hope I didn't get too specific into Seattle. Um, I think everything sort of holds true. Probably part parts of more middle America are a little bit more cool. I have a lot of family like in uh, Boise, Idaho, and I know the market is definitely cooled quite a bit there. Um, but I think overall still, you know, I was talking to an agent yesterday and buyers not at all in this category, but listing agents and sellers have been really quite spoiled in the past few years where it's just, it's so easy. And so, you know, like in this situation, this agent had got like one offer at ask in six days and that feels like bad, which you know, in reality, that's amazing. And homes on average, you know, in a more normal market sit on the market for 30 days. So similar to kind of my points about interest rates, like with this bit of cooling, it is still a very healthy, strong market. And um, it's very dynamic, and it's moving very, very quick, just to a lesser degree than what we've been used to. But I think that's not a bad thing. It was 
absolutely insane for the past couple of years and just not sustainable. So yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, it'll allow more people to be able to get into the market um, who haven't been able to, because I've heard a lot of stories of like, we got outbid, so we just kind of finally stopped trying or like, it's just unaffordable. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for um, doing this. And uh, I always wrap up with um, kind of any recommendations that you might have on something you're reading or watching or listening to, um, it doesn't have to be real estate related, uh, that you recommend to, to people. Yeah, I can kind of go through cause I have these written down. <laughs> no, um, It's nothing. It actually isn't anything real estate related, but, um, so reading I'm in a book club, so shout out to my book club if they're <laughs> listening, but <laughs> we're reading a book called, uh, just mercy and it's super good. It's a memoir by an attorney, uh, Brian Stevenson. And it's basically just him taking on clients who have been, um, you know, charged with really uh, are convicted and they have really, really severe sentencing. And a lot of times it can be like the death penalty. And I don't mean to get political and controversial in your podcast, but, um, it's just a really good real because you know all the cases were real cases deep dive into our judicial judicial system uh listening so i'm in my car i feel like I li- i'm like 50 percent of my life just driving <laughs> showings and stuff like that but um i do listen to like some real estate and finance podcasts for sure just because it's so relevant um i don't have a lot that i feel like are very consistent um so you know, I like anything kind of NPR and stuff like that. But my favorite podcast is one called Embarrassed to Ask. And uh, it's two females. It's my uh, friend. Um, it's Christine and then Ellie. And they both, they, I'm not probably describing their job descriptions very well, but they both work in um, sex education and in their public school system and cover topics that definitely as a kid growing up in the 90s were very taboo to talk about, especially in school. Um, so in a podcast format, they create a really safe space to talk about a lot of different topics. And I learned a ton. <laughs> and then, I love that. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, it's it's really it's they're amazing and they're so smart and open minded and um, it's great. And then I'm not really watching anything. So that question, I don't have a lot, but I, the newest thing I did just watch was inventing um, Anna because I like the name so much, but that was a crazy, I, have you seen that? I have. Yeah. We, we watched it. Uh, Matthew likes to do the uh, impressions of the voice. Of her accent. <laughs> I would love to hear it. Yeah. I'll have to get, he is embarrassed to do anything in front of other people, but he's actually pretty good at it. It's funny. Oh, I can't. <laughs> but That's yeah that was a good one that was a fun show like yeah it. it was it's crazy it was real I just it feels like it would have been entertaining even if it was not you know based on a true story and it's like oh this you know happened so um yeah yeah and then I just watched a bunch of reruns of survivor a lot too so <laughs> if I'm like doing work stuff at night then maybe that will be on in the background that's, but. that's the background yeah <laughs> so not a very education you know driven answer but it's good so no that's, that's um it doesn't have to be my <laughs> my uh 
my like go-to right now has been this show called We Own This City. And I feel like I've been promoting Ooh. it to everyone who listens or who will listen to me, but it's by the same person, uh, David Simon, who did The Wire. I don't know if you've seen okay. that show um, that was on HBO yeah, yeah. In early 2000s, I think that was about Baltimore. Yeah. So this is actually, um, The Wire was fictional, but this is actually based on a book um, that someone wrote a Baltimore reporter on the Baltimore police department post, um, what happened to Freddie Gray, um, and what happened in the police department. It's really good. Very, it's, it's just, What's a, it called again? I want to write it down. yeah, it's called, we own this city. Um, yeah, it's on HBO and there's only six episodes. So it's also like a fairly manageable watch. <laughs> so it's not, it's not going to take up like seven seasons of like 20 episodes. Um, yeah. <laughs> like a year long commitment. Yeah. <laughs> where can, um, where can people find you? I know you have, um, you do some great videos and educational information yes. on Instagram. So. Yes. And thank you for asking. I do. Um, so you can just, so like I said earlier, I'm part of the Morgan group. So just Morgan group underscores my Instagram, um, same as Facebook and then LinkedIn is just my name, Anna Morgan. But Instagrams, we're going to find most of our content. I, I feed it to everything else, but that's kind of the a good place to go find me. And yeah, tons of videos, just kind of educational stuff, pretty low key, but I'm very accessible. So if you have questions or want to chat through anything, um, you know, I have my contact information there. And always happy to talk to anyone. I could talk about this stuff forever, so it won't bother me. <laughs> um, and I will vouch that you were very, yeah, you're very helpful, uh, particularly for those of us that are newer to the process. So, um, and very patient. So, um, but yeah, thank you for coming on and thanks to everyone for listening. Um, if you could please subscribe or rate and review the podcast, I hear that's the best way to get more well-known <laughs> Apple pods. Um, and then also I have my weekly newsletter that you can sign up for at www.walletstreetpod.com where I share um, kind of what's going on in money, finance, and crypto for that week um, and my thoughts on it. So uh, thanks everyone and tune in next time. All right. Thanks everyone. <laughs>